You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers Belonging, Friendship, Dating, Marriage. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses. So glad that you chose to be here today. Whether you're at another campus online, listening by podcast, this is going to be a great day. We're in this series talking about belonging. And we all long to belong. And so we've been asking the question we tend to ask, where do I belong? And we've been putting the answer in front of us every week. I belong to family. And honestly, the the greatest, probably the biggest family ever built is the family of God launched by the church through Jesus. I mean, that right there, that is the family. And we're going to talk about uh, that kind of family over the next two weekends. But before we go there today, we're going to talk about how do you build belonging in relationships? How do you do that? I mean, you, you want to belong, you desire to belong, but how do you build belonging? A kind of belonging that God can bless, that God created us for, that God designed us for. And so Jesus gives us some wisdom in that. In fact, i put it this way. Jesus gives us wisdom for building belonging in friendship, dating, in marriage. In friendship, dating, marriage. Where everybody, read this across the campuses, build belonging in what everybody? Friendship. Dating and marriage. We're going to try and cover the whole thing today. That's pretty, that's pretty broad. That, that's pretty large picture. But, but Jesus gives us some wisdom. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes, sometimes the answer to prayer comes through wisdom and obedience. Sometimes the answer to prayer that, that you offer to God gets answered by God's wisdom and our obedience. And in John chapter 13, grab your Bibles. John chapter 13, page 1079 in your worship center Bible. Grab your Bibles, turn there. In John chapter 13, Jesus is at a table. And it's not a surprise that he would be at the table and it's often at tables that we build relationship. It's, it, it's sometimes a, a, across the table. It can be at a coffee shop. It, it can be at a restaurant. It, it can be at home, sometimes a dining table. And Jesus was at the table when he delivered the foundation for all relationships. I mean, he's going to give us wisdom. If you want to know how to build belonging, he's going to deliver it right there at the table with the disciples, and he's going to describe for us, as he does really through scripture, things that you put on the table and things you you take off the table. You put things on the table, and that helps define and build belonging. You take things off the table to protect the relationship because you're really committed to the love and the value of that relationship. What do you put on the table? What do you put off the table? It's a great conversation, And, and it begins... In John chapter 13, but know this, Jesus has already called the disciples his friends. If you were to slip over to John chapter 15, I'll put it on the screen here. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And he says to the disciples, I have called you friends. So he has the disciples around the table with him. It's in John chapter 13. 
It's on page 1079 in your Worship Center Bibles, and let's start reading. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Hey, Jesus is always about relationship, the love in relationship. In fact, what he's about to teach them and therefore teach all of us, what you put on the table and take all the tape off the table is, is designed to protect and build authentic, loving, deeply meaningful relationships. Jesus was never about the rules to manage relationship is much about the love that builds relationship. This is all done. His wisdom is delivered out of love. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already tempted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, listen, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Huh. So what is this whole deal about washing feet? He began to wash the disciples' feet. Well, let's start with the friendship table. If you want to know where we're going to go first, let's unpack the friendship table. All of us are involved in relationship and building friendship, and there's something to learn from this whole washing feet. So what's going on with the feet washing thing? Well, first of all, you've got to understand the culture in the day. People walked around, and, and they walked around in, on the dirt, and they didn't have pavement, sidewalks. They didn't have cars, and they had sandals, and so their feet were getting dirty and, and, and probably smelled, reeked, if you will, if you want to pick a word that works. And, and, and so, so, so when they gathered for dinner, they, they, they had need for their feet to be washed. And it was the custom when they would come to dinner. And, and when they came to dinner uh, at a table, it wasn't a table that looked like, like this table. It wasn't, it wasn't high with chairs and you put your feet under the table. It was more like the imagery of this kind of table. Let me just give you a picture. The table would have been really low to the ground. And, and then they would have reclined at the table. And, and often lean on their left elbow and eat with their right hand. That's why in conversation, you'd have to lean back to talk to the person kind of to the left of you behind you. But that meant the feet were kind of always in play at dinner and quite offensive. <laughs> so the feet need to be washed. And, and it was a U-shaped table so that the one who was serving or the servant of, the, of that meal would, would, would be able to get to the table. But, but usually one of the lower level servants would wash feet. But there was no servant there to wash feet. So the disciples are waiting. Well, someone's got to wash the feet. I'm not going to do it because it's beneath me. It's what, everybody? Beneath me. I mean, I got my own sense of self-importance. I'm, I'm connected with Jesus here. I, I, I don't have to worry about that. So when Jesus dressed like a servant and began to wash feet, that was the act of a low-level servant. What did we read in verse 3? That Jesus knew he came from the Father, was returning to the Father. This is the one of great majesty. That is God, this is God in human flesh. And the one with great majesty displays great humility. And the whole room went quiet. Jesus is washing. At that moment, everybody wished they just got up and done it themselves, right? I'm just like, okay, if you're going to do it, I'll just do it. I didn't know you were going to do it, but Jesus had already put some things on the table that the disciples took off. Remember, the disciples and Jesus had this conversation a long time ago about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Do you remember any of that? 
And, and, they, and, and the world puts lordship on the table and want, just wants to be in a high position to lord over other people. And Jesus took lording other people off the table and he put serving on the table. Well, see, the disciples walk into this Passover meal, and, and they'd already taken that idea of serving off the table. They're not going to go act like a servant, wash everybody's feet. That's too humble. They'd already taken it off the table, and Jesus was putting it back on the table. See, when the disciples took it off the table, it was kind of like saying, hey, hey, we, we can just negotiate with God. We can decide what goes on the table and what goes off the table. And then Jesus wraps the teaching, if you're still sitting there in this scripture. Look at verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. By the way, that doesn't literally mean physically nowadays. We walk in church every day and we just wash each other's feet. That, it, it, it was a demonstration of a humility and a serving. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you what? Do them. Not if you know them. Not if you can quote it. Not if you're familiar with the scripture. But if you do them. Here's what Jesus was saying. We live in a world that puts self-serving on the table. That if you want to be great, you're aware of your own self-importance, you put self-serving on the table. That that right there is kind of be a hallmark of relationship. And Jesus said, we're going to put self-sacrificing on the table. If you want to build belonging, if you want authentic relationship, if you want to know what is the foundation of building belonging, it is putting self-sacrificing on the table and taking self-serving off the table. Did you all get that? Write that down. Just make sure you got it in your notes. If you, if you want to know what it takes to build authentic, meaningful, lasting, belonging friendship, which, by the way, is the foundation of friendship, and it's the foundation of dating, and it's the foundation of marriage, you take self-serving and you pull it off the table. That's what Jesus was doing. No, no, no. We, did, we tell, take self-serving, pull off the table, and we put self-sacrificing on the table. See, Judas was at the table, and for 30 pieces of silver sold Jesus, betrayed Jesus, betrayed the trust with the other disciples because he was self-serving. Jesus said, no, it takes self-sacrificing. Greater love is no one than this, that he would give his life, lay down his life for his friends. Now, you and I aren't going to die on a cross for our friends. But we do have to be self-sacrificing. It takes time, effort, energy, inconvenience, your resources. If you want to be on authentic relationship, it's going to take a lot of give. This is what builds relationship. It's inconvenient. It costs. We live in the most technologically connected culture that is often called the most lonely. Why? Because our phones contribute <laughs> to this narcissism that's about me. You pull out your phone and what's on there? It, it, your stuff, you, 
Your music and, and your media and your social media, who you want to follow, who you don't want to follow, what you want to stream, what you want to watch, what you want to do. You don't like what's going on around you? Just get your phone out, right? I mean, I can be entertained. I don't really need to connect with you all. I just get it right here. I know some of you are taking notes on your phone and some of you are not. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. We, we may not even recognize it, that we live in a culture that builds a narcissism, a me-centeredness, a self-serving in me. And we bring it into our friendships and into our dating and into marriage. And we might not even be able to see it. We bring it into the church. We, do you come to the church to wash everybody's feet, so to speak? Or do you come to get your feet washed, right? Like, like you're settling one of those in your mind. And it's just not our nature to say, hey, I'm going to be connected in a community of believers in order to serve everybody else. Do you really show up to wash feet or do you show up to get your feet washed? We all want to be a part of it. In fact, it's our nature to, to show up at places like this or even in dating or even expect it in marriage or certainly in friendship that the others would be self-sacrificing. In fact, we judge accordingly. We say, oh, I give thumbs up to them because they're serving me. But the mark is that you would be self-sacrificing. And maybe we just need a new prayer. Maybe we should bow our heads and say, oh, dear God, new prayer. Father, help me see myself. Help me see where I'm self-serving. And God, right now, I, I say to you, help me take that off the table and put self-sacrificing on the table. God, I, I want to engage the table as you set it, not renegotiate the table. Not reset the table. Make me more like you in Christ's name. Do you know what God could do in those friendships? Do you know what God could do in that kind of dating relationship? What God could do in that kind of marriage? If your marriage would be built around that, putting self-serving uh, off the table, self-sacrifice, do you know what God could do in that kind of church and community and through people like us if we were committed to being that kind of people? He could literally transform a community. In fact, that's part of what we're going to practice this Christmas. So let me talk about it. Because this Christmas is not for us and it's not about us. See, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around us in this territory don't have any place where they can celebrate Christmas, meaning the real meaning of Christmas. Like they don't have a home church. They don't go. They, they kind of don't care. But when it's Christmas time, it's like, well, maybe I should go. And we're going to do Christmas this year for the community. You get that? For the community. So Christmas and Christmas Eve is inviting the community in. From December 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, those three days of Christmas Eve, we're inviting the community in. Because if you, listen, it's like us saying to everybody around us, if you don't have a place where you can go celebrate Christmas, come to our place. Right? Right? I mean, that's, that's who we are. It's in our soul. It's in our nature. And we talk about transforming community. I mean, it's not about what's under your tree or on your table. We're going to put food on the table for tens of thousands of others. We're going to do knock out hunger this Christmas. And we've been talking about it. It's about to, time for us to do something with it. So check out this little summary of what we're going to go do. In Greater Gwinnett, roughly 44,000 children are considered food insecure. That means at some point this year, one in six children in Gwinnett will not know where their next meal is coming from. 
Unfortunately, statistics show that for these children, they're more likely to miss developmental milestones and have low academic performance. On top of that, roughly 30% of those children aren't eligible for federal aid programs. 44,000 children. That's enough to fill Infinite Energy Arena over three times. Now here's the good news. There are already 40 plus food banks strategically placed in the areas that need the most help that are already fighting this battle. But here's the bad news. There are still 8.7 million meals missing annually for those who are food insecure and 3.5 million of these meals need to come through new food initiatives in our community. And these stats are also true of the other counties surrounding Gwinnett. Now you're thinking, what can we do about it? Check it out. Our food collection efforts this Christmas are focused on partnering with many of the 40 plus food banks in the area, including Hall and Barrow County. On November 24th, shopping lists will be available with recommended items for a day's worth of meals. Then starting on December 8th, through Christmas, we invite you to join in by providing enough food for a meal, an entire day's worth of meals, or even a week's worth of meals for a family. As we wrap up 2019 collecting food, we're also looking into how we can continue to bring aid over the next few years, knowing that together we can knock out hunger. Now, church, we get to go do this together starting next week. Knock out hunger, feed 44,000 kids and their families. Starting next week, you get to pick up the boxes for, for knock out hunger. Our family is going to adjust, if you will, how we do groceries, how we prepare for Christmas, what we set aside. So let me be instructionally clear. Starting next week, you can pick up boxes. The following week, December 1st, you can pick up boxes, and we're going to start returning them December 8th, December 15th, and Christmas Eve, the 22nd through the 24th, and we are going to blow the doors off from bringing in more food than we could possibly ever have imagined we could do together, and by the way, let me just give you something else. So fascinating. We started casting vision for this a, a month or two ago, and a 12-stoner stepped up and said, listen, I have a trucking company. I think he has like 100 trucks or so. He said, listen, we're going to go do this. This is powerful. I I am going to dedicate my business and trucks. I will collect all the food, store it, and transport it wherever it's needed, free of charge as part of my gift to go make this happen. You see that right there? That's washing feet. That's washing feet. Now go do that in relationships, right? Go do that in relationships so that when we bring people in, what they experience is what we were created for, belonging. All of scripture describes what it means to care for and love one another. Just look at this list. Here's an example of 10 of them. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, build up one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, comfort one another, pray for one another. See, Jesus at the table was giving the foundation for how you build belonging with one another. That's friendship. Let's talk about the dating table. All right, now we're gonna have to get a little faster on this one. Here we go, let's talk about the dating table. What's on the table and what's off the table when you date? And this is kind of a 30,000 view of the whole thing, but some, some choose the single life like Jesus did, right? I mean, some of you are single, many of you are single. 
And, 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 and Jesus was single. It's a blessed life. Paul, uh, we believe biblically, uh, based on references of scripture, was probably married and a widower. And so he lived single. And you get all kinds of options when you're single, all kinds of freedoms. My 24-year-old Jake is single. He travels at will. <laughs> not saying I'm jealous, maybe a little. He has all kinds of freedom. I know not of which he speaks. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> and he's dating. And what does Jesus put on the table and take off the table? If you really want the kind of blessed relationship that Jesus designed us for. Here's what I think is on the table. If I were talking with my son, I would say, well, let's look at scripture. And Jesus says, date a true believer that loves Jesus. And affection, romance, if you will, goes on the table. But the world says, well, you can date anybody you want. You can date an unbeliever where you, if you want. It doesn't really matter. And sex outside of marriage doesn't really matter either. It's called fornication biblically. And what would Jesus say when it comes to dating? He would say, if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, unbeliever goes off the table. Fornication, sex outside of marriage, goes where? Off the table. And what stays on the table? You date a true believer. There's affection and romance. Oh my, how does that work? Now, of course, it's built on self-sacrificing. All friendships are, and all dating builds on that. But there was something that Jesus had to say about this. And so look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. It's like it's light, is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. If you're in the single world and you're in dating relationship or on your way to it, thinking about it, there are things that Jesus put on the table and he took off the table. So let me be instructional for a few moments. This scripture applies to more than dating, but it certainly includes dating. Historically, it would be don't, don't, don't be unevenly yoked. But, but the message version that we just read is describing that there are some partnerships that can't be built because they're at odds with each other. So stay with me. When you move to dating, you who are followers of Christ. By the way, just pause for a minute. Time out. This is only if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you love Jesus and you follow Jesus and he's your highest love and he's your Lord, this is what he's talking about. This makes no sense to an unbeliever. I'm talking, if you're spiritually unresolved and you're unbelievers and you're not, you're not sure you even buy into the God thing or the biblical truth or Jesus or what he teaches, it's not wisdom to you. It makes no sense to you. Oh, I get that. Of course it doesn't. You don't start with Jesus. But if you follow Jesus and you're at the table with Jesus and, and you look to Jesus and you love Jesus and he's your highest love, well, then this begins to make sense because all of us are going to be friends with unbelievers. This isn't talking about unbelievers. You can't associate with unbelievers. Good night. We'd have to leave this earth. <laughs> Jesus was a friend of sinners. But when you move from the friendship table to the dating table, now something changes. 
You date only believers because you're trying to link first loves. And your first love is not for each other, it's for Jesus. And if you're going to be married, you get married to somebody who loves Jesus first. And so the process of dating is to figure out who or what do they love first. And by the way, if you hang around anybody long enough, you're going to figure out what they love, right? Listen, if you hang around me, you're going to figure out that I have grandchildren and I love them. <laughs> you just, you're going to figure it out. I can't shut up. My daughter, Julissa, recently sent me this little moment of, of little Myers, her boy, learning to say Papa, which is really smart. <laughs> Check it out. Can you say Papa? Say Papa. Papa. Say Papa. Papa. Say Papa. Papa. What that little, oh yeah, he's adorable. What that little boy's yet to figure out is that right there will get him anything he wants. I mean, I was walking through Home Depot this past week, and I saw this electric, uh, you know, like, like beautiful little machine tractor. And I'm like, oh, Myers might like that. As soon as he figures out how to say, Papa, can I have that? The answer is yes. I mean, the answer is just going to be yes. All, I want ice cream. Yes, yes, and yes. Listen, you can't be around me for long without figuring out who and what I love. I love cars. My wife might prefer houses. I would prefer cars. I would put all our money into sports cars. I would. If I could. Can't. Won't. Don't. Because I'm married, if I were single. Anyhow, let's stick with the subject. So a couple months ago, Marcia and I uh, were in Indianapolis. We were with some friends, and, and we got a, a gift offer to go to the Indy 500 track and, and ride along in an Indy car. Here's a picture of it. it, it, it front seat and back seat. And you, you sit in the back seat, and they go 180 miles an hour. And it's so glorious. It's like heaven's here. That was right here. Here's just about 13 seconds of the ride. That's me in the car, by the way. Check it out. That's almost a hallelujah, Jesus. I mean, I, like, I, I mean, there's something. Oh. I'm like, can we, can we do that again? Now, when I got done with that, I said, yay. What did I say, everybody? Yay. yay. I couldn't hear you. I said, what? Yay. But a whole bunch of people see that, and they go, yawn. What do they say? Now, listen. Jesus is either a yay or a yawn. And when you date somebody, you better figure out which one he is. Because if he's your yay and they're yawn, you're not dating anymore. Amen. I'm telling you what, it messes up. So many people are trying to fix what they broke in their dating life. Now, if you're past it, that's another conversation. But if you're dating, I've, I listen, I've talked to couples who are dating and they say, well, I don't want to scare them away by talking about Jesus yet. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Not for friendship. You find out they're not followers of Jesus. You go to friendship, but we're done dating. And by the way, dating and marriage is not an evangelism tool. It's not. Go back to friendship. 
When they come to Jesus, date. <laughs> Maybe. I can see this is going well. <laughs> see, if you don't know how to get into that conversation, you, you, you should talk through the 10 big questions of life. Here they are. We've talked about them many times. Is life an accident? Am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me as I am? Isn't only one way to God narrow-minded? What does it mean to be forgiven? Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? Who needs the church? Are heaven and hell real? That's why it's all in the book. We wrote grown-up faith. Why? To help people figure this stuff out. See, dating unbelievers comes off the table. And sex outside of marriage comes off the table. Because that's for marriage. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality, which is fornication, any kind of sexual intimacy outside the covenant of biblical marriage. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Listen, our world says, hey, I can do what I want. I can do what I want with my body. Yes, you can. But the moment you follow Jesus, it's not your body. We're getting quiet. I don't know why. I'm just reading. Because Jesus is saying, I'm putting stuff on the table. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You, you belong to him. He paid with a price. And this isn't, listen, this isn't guilt. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is guidance. You're like, teach me how to build the best relationship and have the most engaging, meaningful blessed dating life. And Jesus says, great. If you follow me, date believers only so that you share first love and keep sexual sin off the table. Protect it for marriage. See, listen, Judas was at the table with Jesus, so you would have thought he was all in, but he wasn't. Jesus loved Judas so much, he washed Judas's feet and he knew he was gonna betray him. And Judas had a chance to confess, own it, and repent. And he didn't. But he could have. He could have. Jesus wasn't harsh toward Judas. He didn't desire to condemn him. He was inviting him to not only be at the table, but to fully follow. And sin keeps us silent. Many times we can be in dating relationships and be silent about Jesus because we're living in sin that violates how Jesus set the table. Well, if that's where you find yourself, own it, confess it, repent, and clean it up. Only eat at the table, sit at the table, and engage at the table the way Jesus set it up, what he put on and off the table. It's really how you experience the blessed relationships he's talking about. And now knowing this is not enough, go do it. Marriage. That's not enough. Let's talk about marriage. Let's get to the last one. Let's finish this up. The marriage table. Now we're just kind of moving it along. There are things that are on the table and things that are off the table when it comes to marriage. And, and, and again, it makes perfect sense. Self-sacrificing stays on the table in all relationships. But what happens in marriage is, is that covenant goes on the table. The two become one. And sexual intimacy goes on the table inside the covenant. This is God's design, unique, and adds to marriage. But the world says, well, no big deal. 
know, um, you can add divorce and adultery, and that can go on the table too. See, just you can, you, though, even though the two became one, the one can become two. And Jesus says, oh, no, let's take divorce off the table. Yeah, adultery is an option in this world. If you don't like the way things are going, just go find somebody else and break the covenant. No, no, that goes off the table. No, what sits on the table is the covenant of two become one and sexual intimacy inside the covenant, all based on self-sacrificing. Self-serving, that comes off the table. And that stays off the table because marriage is a friendship. Look at what Jesus had to say about this whole conversation. Haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. The conversation went on. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, this is a really complicated uh, scripture. And yet it's not. It's really clear. Marriage is a divinely ordained union between a man and a woman, and when they come under the covenant, the two become one. And that has its own mystery. Scripture has a hard time even describing what happens because it's supernatural, it's emotional, it's relational, it's physical, it's sexual, and it's covenantal. And two become one. And Jesus says this one is so sacred that even if you divorce, you didn't unone the one. You didn't make the one two. When there's adultery, it causes that. When I got married, we were one, two, three years in, and it was not going well. Mainly because of Marsha. She's traveling today with my single son who can travel anywhere he wants. So I'm going to talk about her. <laughs> She's in Seattle. Oh, yay. They're having a great time. Now, obviously, it wasn't just Marcia. See, Marcia married a far more selfish man than she knew. And I discovered I was more self-serving than I knew. I was not as self-sacrificing as I thought, and neither was she. And by the way, being a Christian doesn't make it easy. <laughs> we have the power of God in us, but we still have to die to self and wake up to self-sacrificing, right? We have friends of, our, we have friends of ours who are um, in their early marriage <laughs> as, as they're in ministry. They're in ministry. And the pastor said to his wife, uh, I mean, it was just going badly. He said, I wish you would commit adultery so I could divorce you and stay in ministry. And she said, I wish you'd just die. So it was going well. It was going really well. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, till death do you part. I remember about the third year of marriage uh, after we had a fight. And, and I came home and I just started thinking, I know why my parents divorced. I do. Now I get it. I had no idea. I thought, shame on them. Now I think that makes a lot of sense. 
And I was consoling myself with that thought. And the Lord interrupted. He said, "Uh, son, we took that off the table. What you're discovering is you're not as self-sacrificing as you thought. You're self-serving. And I need you to wash the feet of your wife. I need you to grow up. He had his own conversation with Marcia who had to do the same. Marriage doesn't work without building a friendship and friendship is built on self-sacrificing. So a couple of months ago when Marcia said to me, can we do a family photo? I mean the whole family, all the kids, everybody, grandkids. And I, by the way, I hate. (laughs) This is being recorded. I... I, I hate doing that. Do you, does anybody else hate doing this family photo? Everybody, I, I hate doing that. So I don't know why. I can't even figure it out in me. I just, I just, I hate it. And, and I said to her, you know me. Why would you ask me to do that if you love me? And she said, why would you not give that to me if you love me? And so we compromised. That's what marriage is. We compromised and we did exactly what she wanted. So everybody's got to figure it out. I had to figure it out. Now, I don't know why I hate taking pictures. I just do. Just everybody getting together. And photographer tells you what to do. It's all fake smiling. And and everybody gets tensed out. And everybody wants to look a certain way. Everybody's got to make sure. And you got to change clothes. I don't like the clothes thing. I said, I don't like it. Pick these clothes. Does this fit? I don't care if it's change clothes. I just, I don't want to do any of this. I still want to do it. And the grandkids will get stressed out. And don't, don't tell me the kid, grandkids won't get stressed out. Here's a picture from the family photo shoot that we had. Here's Breland being adorable, helping her little brother. And he's like, I'm not happy. Don't hug me like that. And here's Myers having a great time. I mean, here's the problem with family photos. They freeze time in a moment and they're forever. So you always get to see them. Why do that? Nobody, I, I never like the way I look. Do you ever look at a picture? I never look at a picture and go, yeah. I'm like, I'm getting old. I need to work out more. I mean, what? I don't, I don't like, and then, and then you have people like Sean last week who puts pictures on the screen like this. Take it off. And, and it occurs to me, what's wrong with Sean? It's like Sean doesn't know I have pictures. You talk about bad hair. And by the way, I have more than this. You know, last week, Sean did that little thing about cats. Do you remember that? Play that. There's a little thing about cats. You remember this. Kind of a little video where he showed the picture of awkward cats in the cat photo. Yeah? The next one. This bothers me. This, this, like, this physically bothers me on the inside. Now, I don't know what his problem is. For you cat lovers who thought he dissed you, I got a couple pictures for you. This is Sean. This is Sean loving cats when he was a kid. He had a cat. He loved cats. He's cat man. So I just want you to feel better about that. And I have pictures that I'm not showing you. And he's going to pay me soon for not showing you. Oh, I'll do well out of this. Now, at the end of all the family pictures, we ended up with, with one of these. And you know what? Sweet little family picture. The photographer said, uh, Kevin, why don't you and Marcia get in the middle? And, and why don't we gather your family around you? Look at what you have. 
and my mind went back to, I remember in the third year I was thinking about how I could end it. But what 37 years of figuring out by the grace of God how to put self-serving um, off the table and put self-sacrificing on the table. And 37 years of dating every Thursday night for 37 years because marriage is built on friendship and dating. And yes, it just freezes in a moment the family. But the kindness of God, if you will let him set the table and join him. So in your marriage, where are you putting things on the table that Jesus took off? And where are you taking things off the table that Jesus put on? 